on the screen, taken from Acts chapter 9, and I will be reading verses 1 through to 19 in your pew Bible, that is on page 1706, so 1706 in your pew Bibles. Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Father, we've opened your word, that gift you've given us to, to reveal more of who you are to us, but it's also a word that shapes and changes us. So Lord, I pray that the words 
which we've read, your word, that it may make its way deep inside of us to shape us and form us more and more into who you have us be. And I pray that the words which will be spoken now, may they be your words and not mine. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just think back. When did you become a follower of Jesus? Just reflect back on your journey. Many of you have made that decision to follow Jesus. But there are those of you who are here this morning who may be still trying to decide whether or not you're going to make that commitment. You may be wondering in your heart, are these stories that I've learned, these stories that I've heard, are they really true? Maybe you've never really been a part of a church. Maybe you're here visiting this morning. Or maybe you've been coming a few times in different churches. And you're trying to figure out, do I dare follow this Jesus? For those of you who've made the decision, think back to who it was that helped you to get to know Jesus, that led you to a place where you could say, yes, I want to follow him. Maybe it wasn't somebody, maybe it was something, an event, a moment in your life where you finally realize where I can't do this on my own. I've been trying to organize and run my own life, and it hasn't gotten me anywhere. And you decide to accept Jesus. One thing we learn in Saul's story is that Jesus begins working in our lives and in our hearts way before we come to that moment where we accept them. We grow up in a culture where we are in control, where we want to believe we're in control. But when you read scripture, when you read stories like the story of Saul, we find out we're not really as much in control as we think we are. Even our relationship with God, we are not the ones in control. We're not the ones who are saying, okay, I decide whether or not. I'm going to follow. There is a decision you have to make. This is why we're holding profession of faith classes starting next week Monday so that you can explore the faith and you can explore who Jesus is. But don't kid yourselves. You're not really the one in charge of your relationship with Jesus. God has already, and Jesus has already been meeting you time and time again to get you to a place where you say yes, where you say yes to Jesus.
Now, some of your stories are spectacular encounters with Jesus where it was like, wow, I know you're real. But my guess is that for many of you, your coming to accept Jesus is more of a, a long story already starting at your birth, being born into a Christian family, coming to church already when you don't even realize it, going hearing stories in the nursery of Jesus, growing up at home, Sunday school, gems, cadets, young peoples, young adults. And Jesus just kind of soaked into you. So it was no big spectacular moment. And what a blessing that is. Because if you have a spectacular story of meeting Jesus, my guess is that there is hurt and confusion in your life. There probably was loneliness. Some of you may have grown up in the church, but you pushed back and you said no. You may have wandered away before Jesus pulled you back. You may be pushing right now. But even if you're pushing right now, know that Jesus, Jesus will allow you to push. He'll even allow you to wander away for a while, but he will never leave you. He will never let you drift so far away that he doesn't pull you back. Saul has a sudden meeting with Jesus. An unexpected meeting that changes his life forever. And it causes him to make a choice for Jesus. To say, you are my Lord and Savior. Even those who don't follow Jesus, they use this story of Saul's to, to define a, a, a life-changing moment. Because whether you've journeyed with Jesus your whole life or you've come to this spectacular moment where you accept him, there is something life-changing about saying to Jesus, I accept you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give my whole life over to you. That's how much I trust you. But for right now, Saul's a Jesus hater. He's a passionate Jesus hater. Saul admits it later on in, in, in Acts. He says, I persecuted the followers of this way, the way of Jesus, to their death arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And later on he says, many a time I, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. And that's what he's doing right now. He has left Israel and he is journeying in Syria to a foreign city, to Damascus, to hunt down Jesus' followers. Hatred is a powerful emotion. And, and Satan is able to, to use it to, to hurt and even destroy others, but its most powerful influence is in, inside yourself. 
And hatred and fear often go hand in hand. Saul's hatred of Jesus, Saul's hatred of Jesus' followers comes out of fear. Because if Jesus is real, that means the way he's been following God actually hasn't brought pleasure to God at all. It's been more about himself than about God. Don't kid yourself. The church is also not immune to feeling hatred and fear. Now, our hatred is directed often to those who think differently than us. But often our hatred, its root is in fear as well. Fear that that the people around us, the things around us, the culture around us, other ways of thinking and believing are going to, to change us. that perhaps it's going to lead our children away from Jesus. And so the church has often reacted strongly. And I think that's why Jesus sums up following him, following God, by saying it's all rooted in loving God with everything you've got and have and who you are, and in loving your neighbor as yourself. So even those people that we fear, even those people that we hate, God says you got to love them. Why? Because God created them in his image as well. And God loves them. Jesus has plans for Saul, though. So while Saul is traveling to Damascus to hunt down more of his followers, Jesus sets up a meeting between the two of them just outside of town. Luke tells it this way, as he neared Damascus on his journey, a light from heaven flashed around him. This is Saul. Saul falls to the ground, hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Saul asks? Who are you, Lord? And then hear these words, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Now imagine what's going on in Saul's head. Something weird is happening. This isn't normal. And he's not sure what it is, but but Saul has studied the scriptures. He has studied the Old Testament. And he knows that God works in these different ways. So he knows this is a God moment. So he asks, who are you? Now imagine. You know, we read this story. But imagine, he's been hunting down the followers of Jesus to death. And now, out of this light, in this encounter, he hears, I am Jesus. I don't know about you, but it makes me scared when I hear this encounter. I'm shocked with Saul. We confessed our sin earlier in this service. Our sin is is about broken relationships. And I know my own life, my own heart, and I know there's brokenness. And and Jesus could just as easily come to me and encounter me and say, what are you doing? Don't you know who I am? An encounter like this 
It is meant to be life-changing. And fear has got to be flooding into his, into his heart. And, and Saul doesn't dare not do what Jesus says. So when Jesus says, you know what, go into the city, and you've got to wait. You're going to be told what you've got to do. Saul gets up to go. But he discovers he's blind. He can't do it in his own strength. He needs his servants now to lead him. To lead him to a house on Straight Street. To a man that he had come there to kill. And as Saul stumbles his way into the city... Jesus encounters Ananias. Ananias, I want you to go to the house of Judas. And there you're going to meet a guy who's been killing all my followers. And I want you to heal him. Imagine somebody hurting your family and then Jesus going and saying, hey, I want you to be good to him. He's sick. I want you to bring some healing to him. Ananias is saying, hey, look, man, I don't know if I want to do this. Do you realize who this is? And Jesus says, yeah, of course I do. But you know what? I got plans for him. And he's going to suffer for me. For my name. Now, Ananias, he does what Jesus says. He goes to the house of Judas. He meets Saul. He lays his hands on Saul. He brings healing through the power of Jesus so that the scales fall off. Don't kid yourself. He's not doing this out of the goodness of his own heart. He's doing it only out of obedience. Because I'm wondering with Ananias at this point, how can... How can Jesus use a murdering man like Saul? And I'm also guessing his only joy in it is that knowing that Saul's going to hurt. He's going to hurt for Jesus. See, as followers of Jesus, we encounter Jesus But changing our hearts, it doesn't happen overnight. We have these moments where Jesus encounters us. But that life of obedience and faith, it's not an easy one. Because Jesus calls us to do hard stuff. And right away, Saul can see again. And because he can see again, we also know that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. 
All because Jesus arranged a meeting on a dusty road outside of Damascus, a foreign city, an unexpected place. Saul becomes a Jesus follower. Later on, they're called Christians. Saul's mission in life is completely turned upside down. It changes from getting rid of Jesus followers to making more Jesus followers. Saul's a completely different person because he encountered Jesus. And it wasn't because he was looking for Jesus. It's because Jesus went looking for him. Paul later on says, you know what? God chose you. God chose you even before the creation of the world. Paul's not taking credit for his transformation. Saul, who becomes Paul, realizes it's only by the grace of Jesus. If Jesus would have waited for Saul to come to him, it would never have happened. And this story is meant to give us hope and comfort. That Jesus reaches out to us to change us, to to call us to follow him. No matter how messy, how horrible, how rotten we've been. There is nothing you can have done in your life where Jesus doesn't say, I still want you. I can change you. I can take all the hurt and brokenness that you've created. I can take all the hurt and brokenness that's in you, and I can transform you. I love that children's message. Because we can be transformed. Because Jesus comes to us first. That's why our theology, that's why our doctrines are there. The canons of Dort. How many of you love the canons of Dort? Oh, come on. If you don't love the canons of Dort, you're missing out, man. Now, for those of you who aren't Christian Reformed or kind of new, we have these different confessions the Canons of Dort was written a long time ago. And it's written in language that's a little bit hard to understand. But it was written to reassure the people that you can't lose your faith. Because God chose you first. And if God chooses you, he doesn't let you go. In all that hard language and confusing language... The canons of Dort, based on Scripture, shaped by Scripture, says that even your children, if they die before they're baptized, if they die in childbirth, they still belong to Jesus because Jesus chooses them first. It's not us who choose first. Jesus chooses us first. And then Jesus arranges to meet us. And he changes us. So if you are a parent and a child has drifted far from God, God has put his mark on him in baptism. God has put, put, has put his sign on her saying 
She belongs to me. And I am allowing them to, to drift away for a while. But I will never let them drift so far that they can't come back. My parents trusted deeply in these doctrines that are found in the canons of Dort. Because I was one of those who drifted away. But they never lost hope. But it wasn't because of me and my decision. It was a, a chaplain on board ship in the middle of the ocean who challenged me. Began that journey back. I met Jesus in the middle of the ocean. It's not some big spectacular moment. But Jesus gave me enough rope and he said, now it's time to come on back. And he'll do that with our children as well. Perhaps you're wondering, can Jesus really love me? With all that's gone on, Jesus, this story of Saul brings you hope. It offers you comfort. Yes, Jesus wants you. And he is reaching out to you. He is reaching out to you through the scripture that we read this morning. He's reaching out to you through the church. He's reaching out to you through the people in your life around you. Jesus often meets us in the people around us. But Jesus wants to meet you. Every time we see a baptism, we're reminded that Jesus reaches down through the veil between heaven and earth and places his seal and claim on our children and on ourselves. That's the message of the cross. That our sin is not enough to separate us from Jesus' love. That his love and sacrifice washes away our sin and brings new life. Our circumstances may not change, but by following Jesus, by accepting him after we encounter him, we may even have to suffer for it, but Jesus will use even that to help others get to know him too. Following Jesus, we gain a new family. We gain new hope. We gain new goals and a new identity. And what's your identity? You're a beloved child of God. But you are called to invite others to join you to walk with us in following Jesus. Jesus wants to meet the people of Lacombe and this area. And you know what? Jesus says, I meet you so that you can meet others and they can meet me through you. So are you up for it? Are you willing to let Jesus transform your life? Amen. Thank you.